reading uh, and preaching uh, chapter 2, I will read the first 10 verses of uh, Ephesians and chapter 2. The Bible says there, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And the Apostle Paul adds the phrase there, by grace you have been saved. And then he goes on to say, the text that we will be looking at this morning, verse 6 and verse 7, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, brethren, as you can see, oh, okay, it's right now with the Bible. For celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. And we are looking at this theme through the book of Ephesians. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And as I keep saying, it, it doesn't mean you cannot search them out. It is that you cannot search them out to exhaustion. You can't reach the bottom of the barrel in terms of seeing what God has done in bringing us to himself in salvation and in bringing us to heaven. And as we have entered into chapter 2, we mustn't lose sight of what Paul is dealing with there. He's basically showing us the hope that we have. He was dealing with it in uh, chapter 1 and verse 20. He spoke about the fact that we might know the hope to which we've been called. Number two, that we might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then number three, which is in verse 19, that we might know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And he's saying it is like the power that God displayed in bringing Jesus Christ from the dead, ascending him to heaven, 
and sitting him above all powers to reign there at his right hand. And so as we enter chapter 2, all Paul is doing is now applying that to us. Having said it is like that power, he is now saying, look at the way that power has actually functioned in bringing you to where you are now and will function in finally bringing you to glory. So we saw that he began with our state of spiritual death, which is in verse 1 to verse 3, and then began to open up how God, who is a God of mercy, a God of love, a God of grace, has acted in bringing us to life. And that's what we saw last time. And what we are doing now is asking the question or answering the question, what exactly has God done to save us? What is it? And the Apostle Paul brings out three verbs or three action words. And we have seen those words. The first one was that he made us alive together with Christ. That is in verse 5. The next one the next two actually are in verse 6. And raised us up with him. That's number two. And then the third, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So those are the three things that God has done. And he has done it by his power. And therefore, as he continues to work in our lives, he is simply continuing that same activity. So last time, we looked at the first, and that is being made alive together with Christ. And today, I want us to look at the second two, being raised up together with Christ and being seated with him in the heavenly places. So let's begin with that first one, at the beginning of verse 6. And raised us up with him. Raised us up with him. What, what has he got in mind? Well, I think it's fairly easy for us to, to picture the three verbs as this. The first is that of resurrection. The second is that of ascension. And the third is that of the session on the side of God or in heaven itself. So when you put them in those three categories, it becomes a little easier for you to see what he has in mind when he speaks about being raised up with Christ. It's basically what he said in chapter 1 and verse 20. Chapter 1 and verse 20. When he said there, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So it's evidently the fact that God has not only infused spiritual life into us, which we we're looking at last time, but he has also then translated us from the realm of the dead 
to the realm of the living. And it is that which then becomes the ascension or the being raised up together with Christ. Being raised up together with Christ. Now the thing I want us to at least quickly get out of the way is that Paul here is speaking in the past tense. This is something that has happened. God in Christ has already done it. And yet, in actual experience, it is something that we are actually going through in the process of our sanctification. We are being renewed. We are being taken from one realm to the other. And then finally, it is what is going to happen when we actually reach heaven itself. So in a sense, God has done it in Christ, but in another sense, it is our hope. It is in the future. It is something we finally want to see achieved. And so we read in Second um, Corinthians chapter 4 and Philippians chapter 3 something of this futuristic aspect. Let's quickly peep there. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 14. I'll begin reading from verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also speak and so we, rather, we also believe, and so we also speak. Now listen to this. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Notice the futuristic. He raised up Jesus. He will also do the same. We believe this. And that's what we also testify. Or, as he puts it in Philippians and chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 11, it's uh, a famous statement of Paul, especially verse 10. Verse 10 and 11. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection. This is Paul's hope. It's his desire. It's what he's looking forward to. And may share in his suffering, rather, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Okay, so that's sanctification. The process of becoming like him. But listen to verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That I may be party to this experience. So how is it that we can be speaking in terms of that it has been achieved historically already and yet it is something that we are looking forward to in the future? Isn't this a contradiction? Well, the answer lies, as we saw last week or last time, I can't remember when we last dealt with this, it is in the phrase, in him, in him. And notice how it keeps coming out again 
and again and again. Even in these words. Look again at Ephesians 2 and verse 6. Ephesians 2 and verse 6. Don't miss that little phrase. Because on it rests all that Paul is saying. And raised us up, and there it is, with him. And again, and seated us, there it is again, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now last week, I think it was, I was speaking in terms of dying, being buried, and being raised to life. And I said, in Christ, as he was dying on the cross, buried, and being raised, we were in him. And therefore, what he was achieving, he was not only achieving for us, but he was achieving with us. Because in God's decree, in God's covenant with his son, he had given us to his son as the elect, given us to him so that whatever he was doing, he was doing for us and was being achieved with us. So when we read the phrase with him, think in terms of in union with him. Add that little phrase in your thinking. In union with him. So let's read that text again. But this time, think in terms of in him or with him in terms of in union with him. Okay, so back to our text. And raised us up in union with him. And we are going to see very shortly. And seated us in union with him in the heavenly places. What it means, therefore, is that in a sense, although we are still here on earth and we are undergoing the process of sanctification, it's not something that is debatable. It's not something that is hanging on, on chance that perhaps it might happen, perhaps it might not happen. It's, it's a matter of time. This process has begun and will really be achieved. And it is as good as done from God's perspective because it is in Christ. I like the way in which the, the Puritans used to, to refer to the relationship between sanctification, what we are going through, and glorification, and that is what will happen at the very end. And they spoke in these terms that um, sanctification is glorification in the bud, B-U-D. In other words, when you are looking at a flower, uh, the flower first begins as something that is, is closed. And then in due season, it begins to open up. And as it finally opens up, you go, wow, what a beautiful flower. But it's not that the, that flower is something that's different from when it was closed. It's actually the same thing, except it is, there is a, 
a, a time machine that is put inside it by God's creative power. And that time machine opens up as that time is going on. And that's really the way in which the Puritans understood our sanctification. That we are actually simply going from one degree of glory to another. That's actually what's happening. From one degree of glory to another. So the glorification has begun. But sanctification is glory or glorification still in the bud. And then glorification is actually sanctification in full flower. Now it has finished and we are seeing the whole of it and we are saying, wow, what a glorious thing God has done. So it's all been achieved in Christ. It is now being realized as we are saved, we are made alive. But it's not ending this, not just being made alive, but it is also being raised up together with Christ. And there is something there of the process of our sanctification. What a joyous thing it is, brethren, to realize that when a person has become a Christian, he will continue to grow as a Christian because it is the power of God that's going to achieve that. And as far as God is concerned, it is as good as done. But let's quickly hurry on because, especially if you notice the title of my sermon, I'm talking about being seated with Christ in heavenly places. God's power not only raised us up with Christ, but also, again, notice the tense, seated us with him in heavenly places. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So, we share in Christ's exalted life which is a life that is already far above all powers. And therefore, those powers cannot harm us, cannot destroy us, because as far as God is concerned, in Christ, we are as good as already there. So again, to appreciate this, let's go back to chapter 1 and verse 20. Chapter 1 and verse 20. Let's see what has happened to Christ. And what I want us to do, beloved brethren, as Christians, is to, to put ourselves in Christ, in union with Christ, as divine power is taking him from death, ascending him into heaven, and then putting him in a place that is far above all these rule, authority, power, dominion, and everything else. Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And there it is, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then it is said in verse 22 and verse 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Again, I hope you're drinking this in because we're supposed to be celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. The only difference you are seeing between chapter 1 and chapter 2 here is that, that little phrase, at his right hand. That's the only bit that has not been given to us. So as we read chapter 1 and verse 21, we read there, rather verse 20, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. But everything else, seated with him in the heavenly places, is ours. And the only reason why the Apostle Paul would skip that little phrase is because in the mind of Paul, that phrase is talking in terms of rulership. And that rulership is one that is only given to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who's able to say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We can't speak in those terms. But what we can speak about is that that place of security, that place of being above, being destroyed by the enemies of God, that place we have already arrived in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And I think it's important for us to appreciate this because, strictly speaking, if we were left at the mercy of the power of sin, at the mercy of the power of this fallen world, at the mercy of the power of Satan and all his minions, so to speak, his helpers, all these demons that are fallen together with him. Friends, there's no way we would get to heaven. Absolutely no way. We would be easily defeated. But we are not only able to get to heaven, not only we will get to heaven, we are as good as already there. Because we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't undergo temptation. It doesn't mean that we don't every so often actually yield to temptation and consequently sin against the Lord. We do that. The battle is real. Temptation is real. Sin is real. But one thing is sure, it, it is this, that we will never be defeated. If we are truly God's children, we will never be defeated. We will never live in sin because of what God has achieved 
in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul doesn't say we are conquerors. He says we are more than conquerors. And then he adds, through him who has loved us. We are more than conquerors. In other words, it, it, it's a done deal. It's already been achieved in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or the way in which John puts it. By the way, that was Romans 8. For those of you taking notes, uh, we are more than conquerors. But uh, First John speaks in terms of what Jesus Christ came to do. And uh, I'll just read verse 8. Verse 8. And it makes the point, friends, the reason why we are able to say to a person, you are not a Christian. The person who goes to church, yes, but is continuing to live in sin. First John chapter 3 and verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now here it is. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Again, remember that picture of glorification being really, rather sanctification, being glorification in the bud. There is a time machine that is there that is continuing to work, finally showing forth something of the glory of God that is in the soul of believers. As far as heaven is concerned, as real as the battle might be, it is as good as saying we have arrived there. The hymn that we'll be singing uh, at the end of the service, A Data to Mercy Alone, I love the way it puts it at the very end. It says, more happy but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. Yes, they are happier because the battle is over. They've arrived. But they are not more secure than I am here. They are not. Because as far as God is concerned, I'm as good as being there in Christ, in union with Christ. With Christ, it's as good as done. So you can understand why when the Apostle Paul says this, he, he, he finally cannot help but speak in terms of, this is to show God's grace to us. I mean, look, even before we were even born, even before we even came to Christ in salvation, the day at which we came to Christ, God had already in Christ 
achieved not only the forgiveness of our sins, past, present, and future, but also in terms of our being made alive with Christ, including our being raised up together with him, if you can think in terms of sanctification, including our final glorification. It's all done in Christ. Writing to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul says this ought to be an incentive for holy living. It ought to be an incentive for holy living. Let, let's quickly see this in uh, Colossians 3, verse 1 to verse 3. In fact, um, I'll read up to verse 4. Colossians 3, verse 1 to verse 4. I want us to see this, that this doesn't result in us having a laid-back attitude, that after all, God has done it, so let me just sit back. No, it becomes an incentive for, for holy living. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, which we looked at last, well, we've looked at this in this sermon, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Okay? Because we are in him. We've been raised with him, and we've been seated in him. So seek the things of heaven, the things of holiness, the things of glory. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see that? Your life is, is in him. It's been done in him, in union with him. Surely you can't be spending your, your, your mind and your heart on, on, on the things that are earthly, the things that will perish with time. You can't. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, shining like the sun in its noonday splendor. That's the way you will be. There is absolutely no chance that that will not happen. Absolutely zero. If you are a Christian, that's what we are all heading towards. You can see how crazy it is, therefore, when people are, are suggesting that a Christian can lose his salvation. How? 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 They even say, you know, that, that one there, he, he used to be a Christian. He's no more a Christian. Uh-uh. He never was. He never was. Whatever it is that took place there, the emotionalism that took place when he answered his altar call and everything else, fine. Those are emotions. But, as we've already said, more happy but not more secure are the glorified spirits in heaven. Well, friends, 
Let's quickly go on to see what Paul cannot help but say. He can't help but say it. Verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's already said it. Remember, in verse uh, 5, when he said, by grace you have been saved. Which he, at least I hope your Bible is like mine, where there is the, the, the long dash there. Because it was something that is not in his actual thought line, but he, can't, he couldn't wait until the end to say it. That it is by grace that you've been saved. But what Paul is now saying in this last verse, or rather in verse 7, is that God has engineered our salvation like this so that at the end of time and for all eternity, we will be the display of his grace. That we ourselves, first of all, will be surprised that we are in heaven. Especially because at that time, our eyes will be fully open and we will see the enemies that were arraigned against us. So for ourselves, first of all, it's going to be, wow, what great things God has done done to bring me here. There's no way I would have done this myself. But number two, it is the whole of creation as it is now looking at us that there will be this wow factor concerning the grace of God. And as usual, Paul struggles to, to to say what he wants to say. Because if you look at this verse, it's not saying so that in the coming ages he might show his grace. No. There are words that he has fitted in between. And those words are, are meant to, to stagger you, to again, to produce this wow factor when he says that in the coming ages, back there to our text, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Immeasurable riches of his grace. You know, sometimes... Here on earth, we get a little shocked, isn't it, when, when, when we are reading figures about how rich some people are. Because, you know, when you read that here is a guy who has billions, not of kwacha, billions of dollars, you sort of think, what, what, what does that feel like to have billions of dollars? And then, that uh, he, he wants to buy something for $10 billion. You know, to buy Twitter 
which in itself is actually nothing, for some billions of dollars. Your brain freezes. Because you, if you, if you, you, you manage to, to have 30,000 kwacha in your account, you, know, you feel as if heaven came down and glory filled your soul. But this is not just millions. It's a thousand millions. And they can keep going on and on and on and on. Now, it's something of that that Paul is trying to capture here. But now, in terms of grace, in terms of the quantity of grace, this is not just billions. It's, it's not just gigabytes. It's, it's not just terabytes. It's, 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 you, 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 you can't measure this grace. You can't. Try and just imagine for a moment that you have you yourself, eh? as the, the main person. And we are being shown two pictures of you. On one picture is your, your arch enemies, the, the, the guys who hate you, and if they could blow your brains off, they would blow your brains off. Everything is there. They are your arch enemies. Here's one picture of them. And then the next picture, they are sitting with you in your glory, in your palace. They are with you there. You have brought them, you yourself, not other people, you yourself have worked out a way that you have brought your worst enemy to be your best friends in your glory in your palace. And it's been at your own cost, 100%. And it's not that you said to them, okay, do your best. If you manage, you, you, you come here. No, no. You yourself have worked all that process to finally bring them to this place. And that this is the place where they will be, not for 10 years, not for 100 years, not for 1,000 years, but for forever and ever and ever. That's where they will be. Obviously, every time somebody looks at those two pictures, he will say, wow, what grace. Incredible grace. Every time they look inside and they look there, they say it cannot be. It cannot be. Here is somebody who is rich in grace. He is rich, immeasurably rich in grace by the way in which he has acted in kindness. In kindness. And there it is. 
in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? He will continue in the next verse to talk about grace and grace and grace. So we'll continue there. I'll leave the aspect of grace for now. But what he's bringing out here is that it's all achieved by the power of God. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Are you struggling with temptation? Are you struggling with sin in your life? Are you truly a child of God? Well, then I want to assure you, victory over sin is assured because it's not left in your power. It is in the power of God to achieve this. The power of God. Again, going back to the hymn that we shall be singing, and this time the, the first part of uh, stanza two, it says, the work which his goodness began, the arm of his strength will complete. Notice, the arm of his strength will complete. It's not our strength that's going to complete it. It is the, 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 the omnipotent hand, the, the almighty hand of God will complete this. You will be glorified. You will be seated in the heavenly realms. In fact, in Christ, you already are. It's as good as done. What's happening now, as I said last week, is but a mop-up operation. That's all that is taking place. It's the time machine that is at work. Very well then. Let's quickly wrap up the question. What exactly has God done to save us? He has made us alive with Christ. He has raised us up with Christ. He has seated us in the heavenly places with Christ. He's done it. He's done it. And it is a matter of time that we will get there. And all we need to do is go back to the beginning where everything began. And it was when in eternity, before this world was created, remember Ephesians 1, verse 3 to verse 14. Before this world was created, the Father chose us and gave us to the Son. And they entered into an agreement. The Son was to come and fulfill, pay our Kongole, our debt, our liability on the cross, and therefore secure our forgiveness. And from that point, he was going to go back to the Father, and the Father was now going to give him the Holy Spirit, who was going to come into this world now 
to seek out his elect people, to infuse life into them as they hear the gospel. And then that time machine will begin to unfold to finally bring them to heaven. From eternity to eternity, all by the grace of God. Now why has God revealed all this to us? It is so that in this life, we may already begin to rejoice in this. So that in this life, we may already be motivated for this. That that's, what, that's where we are going. And the time machine will get us there. It is built into us by his spirit. Why hold back? Let me go full throttle in praising this God for his grace towards me in this life. That's why all this has been revealed, that we might now begin to celebrate in the midst of all the missiles that are flying, the bombs that are being thrown into our directions, the arrows that are being thrust at us, and everything else that is militating against our souls going to heaven, that in the midst of all those realities, we may still be individuals that are praising God for his amazing grace. I hope that's true about you. That one of the, 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 the best phrases in your life is simply that phrase, grace, grace, grace. Because that's the only way I can explain my way to heaven, that I am a debtor 